Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, A Riot in Ephesus, Part 4. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Our last episode, A Riot in Ephesus, Part 3, was posted on May 21st. Last week, we learned that this riot was, at least in part, because the silversmiths had a very noticeable loss of work affecting them and their suppliers. They often show great zeal for religion and expect by clamor in behalf of some doctrine to maintain their own interest to also secure their own gains. When a person's employment is in danger of being ruined, they are filled with rage. Notice this comment from King Comment's commentary on the whole Bible. As in Philippi, this disturbance did not originate from Jewish sources, but from pagan sources. The consistent imitation of the Lord Jesus has completely changed the lives of many in Ephesus. Demetrius notices this in his wallet. Because of the many conversions, his business is no longer doing well. The demand for his silver temples drops dramatically. This is why the riot in Ephesus occurred. We should note of Demetrius, money and religion go hand in hand. Noting further, this manifestation of faith is not so much in words as in... To find out more, listen to our previous episode titled, A Riot in Ephesus, Part 3. This week, our final study episode is titled, A Riot in Ephesus, Part 4. Our study scripture reads, After the city secretary quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what person is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the keeper of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image that fell from heaven? So because these facts are indisputable, you must keep quiet and not do anything reckless. For you have brought these men here who are neither temple robbers nor blasphemers of our goddess. If then Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against someone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another there. But if you want anything in addition, it will have to be settled in a legal assembly, for we are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause we can give to explain this disorderly gathering. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. After the disturbance had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them and saying farewell, 
he left to go to Macedonia. From the book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 35, through chapter 20, verse 1. Verse 35 reads, After the city secretary quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what person is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the keeper of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image that fell from heaven? Let us look a bit deeper. The crowd was restrained, quieted, so they could be addressed. Who is there that can deny this? It is universally known and admitted. This is the language of strong confidence, of reproof, and of indignation. It implied that the worship of Diana was so well established that there was no danger that it could be destroyed by a few Jews, and he therefore reproved them for what he deemed their unreasonable alarms. But he little knew the power of that religion which had been the innocent cause of all this tumult, nor that, at no very distant period, this then despised religion would overturn not only the worship of Diana at Ephesus, but the splendid idolatry of the mighty Roman Empire. From Barnes New Testament Notes Wow! Look at that last statement speaking about Demetrius. But he little knew the power of that religion which had been the innocent cause of all this tumult, nor that, at no very distant period, this then despised religion would overturn not only the worship of Diana at Ephesus, but the splendid idolatry of the mighty Roman Empire. Do you believe that our walk in Christ has that kind of power? To not only deal with false gods, but with empires, not by violence, but by simple witnessing to others as Paul did. Not that everyone will listen to you or receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. However, they say, if you do not ask, you do not know. If someone does not want your witness to them, be nice and respectful to them, and then move on. Witness to someone else. Ours is a witness of peace, kindness, and love. If someone is angry with you for witnessing to them and or hate you for it, where does the real fault lie and with whom? If you are generating anger in someone, how can they hear your witness of Christ and salvation? Folks, it is past time to leave such a situation. The other side of this is, so many of God's people take this negativity of failed witnessing on themselves. They resign to failure on their part when not every person will receive your testimony to them. That being true, how can you possibly be at fault 
if you approach a person in peace, kindness, and love, and they refuse your witness to them nonetheless. Notice further how God opens the mouth of this man to vindicate the apostles' innocency and his companions also. These men, says he, are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. It is very likely that the apostle and the Christians in Ephesus had in wisdom asserted Christianity without saying much against Diana, which would have but enraged the multitude, much less did they offer any violence to her temple or her image. Here note that although the apostles were great enemies of these men's idolatry, yet did they offer no outward violence to their idol temples, neither to demolish them or deface any image on them. They well knew that such a work of public reformation was not their business, but the magistrate. Therefore, they endeavored by preaching to cast idols out of the people's hearts, but not by violence to throw them out of the temple. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. I want to stress this last note in William Burkett's Expository Notes. He said, Here, note, that although the apostles were great enemies to these men's idolatry, yet did they offer no outward violence to their idol temples, neither to demolish them or deface any image on them. They well knew that such a work of public reformation was not their business, but the magistrates. Therefore, they endeavored by preaching to cast idols out of the people's hearts, but not by violence to throw them out of the temple. Notice this first part of the first sentence in this paragraph. Although the apostles were great enemies of these men's idolatry, comma, notice that the apostles were great enemies of the idolatry and not the idolatrous men or women. This separation has gone non-existent in my part of the world. Many are willing to keep people like this out of their churches and to speak loud, unjust words of personal and of God's condemnation on them. Where, in this scripture passage and commentary, is that? Simply, it wasn't done at all. That commentary sentence continues with reference to the temples. Neither to demolish them or deface any image on them. They well knew that such a work of public reformation was not their business. Or more simply said in modern terms, it was none of their business. 
It also had nothing to do with what and how they were witnessing to these people in Ephesus. So, how did they focus on their mission and just witness? They endeavored by preaching to cast idols out of the people's hearts, but not by violence to throw them out of the temple. Notice, there is no distinction here between physical violence and verbal violence. Verbal violence incites a person's rage. Verbal violence then further incites physical violence. We know that words can cut a person more deeply than a two-edged sword. This is why I am stressing this issue considering we are to witness in peace, kindness, and love. Moving on. Scripture reads further. So because these facts are indisputable, you must keep quiet and not do anything reckless. For you have brought these men here who are neither temple robbers nor blasphemers of our goddess. Remember William Burkett's commentary that also said, These men, says he, are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. William Burkett also commented, It is very likely that the apostle and the Christians in Ephesus had, in wisdom, asserted Christianity, without saying much against Diana, which would have but enraged the multitude, much less did they offer any violence to her temple or her image. This speaks of a level of respect for those in sin and here, paganism. These men of God remained focused on their mission of simply witnessing to any and all who would receive that witness. This is why Paul was so victorious in converting souls. He won them to Christ without insulting them in their place and faith they were in. Like many today, I have heard accusation and pointed claims in far less contentious situations of ungodliness. We need to witness with respect, kindness, and love. I have to emphasize respect for people we come in contact with, then followed closely with kindness and love. Even a simple act of kindness is not outside this respect, kindness, and love. In verse 36, we read that the facts are indisputable. Therefore, the crowd is to keep quiet and not do anything reckless. Since this is established and admitted, since no one can call in question the zeal of the Ephesians on this subject, or doubt the sincerity of their belief, and since there can be no danger that this well-established worship is to be destroyed by the efforts of a few evil-disposed Jews, there is no occasion for this tumult. To do anything in a heated, inconsiderate manner, there is no occasion 
for tumult and riot. The whole difficulty can be settled in perfect consistency with the maintenance of order. From Barnes New Testament Notes Notice, for this is true even today. Today, there is no occasion for tumult. Do nothing in heated or inconsiderate manner. There is no occasion for tumult and riot. The whole difficulty can be settled in perfect consistency with the maintenance of order. While a person can be angered, for we know God can be angered also, what we do with that anger is either correct or sinful. What is sinful is what we do with our anger. If, in anger, we physically hurt and or emotionally hurt someone, our anger in that is sinful. Remember, anger itself is not sinful. Even God gets angry. His anger is displayed in Scripture. Just look at the last three and a half years of the tribulation found in the book of Revelation. However, what we are talking about is how we express our anger. That is what is sinful or not. Notice further, verse 37. For you have brought these men here who are neither temple robbers nor blasphemers of our goddess. Being a temple robber is quite easy to understand. However, what is really meant by being a blasphemer? They had not used harsh or reproachful language of Diana. This had not been charged on them, nor is there the least evidence that they had done it. They had opposed idolatry, had reasoned against it, and had endeavored to turn the people from it. But there is not the least evidence that they had ever done it in harsh or reproachful language, and it shows that men should employ reason and not harsh or reproachful language against any pervading evil, and that the way to remove it is to enlighten the minds of men and to convince them of the error of their ways. Men gain nothing by bitter and reviling words, and it is much to obtain the testimony of even the enemies of religion, as Paul did of the Chancellor of Ephesus, that no such words had been used in describing their crimes and follies. From Barnes New Testament Notes Further understand, these men, Gaius and Aristarchus, as Christians, had so conducted themselves that no charge could be placed against them either in act, temple robbery, or word, blasphemy. They had done a rash thing since these men are innocent. Paul had used tact in Ephesus as in Athens in avoiding illegalities. From Robertson's Word Pictures in the New Testament Gaius and Aristarchus were not guilty of anything in action, 
temple robbery, or in word, blasphemy. How is it that this is true? Remember, Gaius and Aristarchus were under Paul, so Paul had used tact in Ephesus as in Athens in avoiding illegalities. Notice how avoiding illegalities was a priority. Verse 38 reads, If then Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against someone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another there. This means, this officer intimates, in order to quiet the mob and make them easy, that these things were so certain and well known that nobody would pretend to contradict them, and therefore they must be mistaken in the men whom they had hurried into the theater. It was impossible that they or any men should be capable of saying anything against the truth of these things. Therefore, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly to these men, to their hurt, but sit down and compose yourselves and think again and consider of this matter and not go into any hasty measures which may, in the issue, be prejudicial to yourselves. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible. These comments should not require any explanation. This proves that calming down when one is enraged or excited in some similar way, that one should calm down and return to a mind of reason. One should compose themselves, think again, and consider more rationally any situation that excites one to anger and strong emotional excitement. Here is why. For you have brought these men here who are neither temple robbers nor blasphemers of our goddess. Today, in anger and strong emotional excitement, we can also condemn someone unreasonably because we are not thinking clearly either. As John Gill pointed out, made more personal to the modern mind. You ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly to anyone, to their hurt, but sit down and compose yourselves and think again and consider the matter and not go into any hasty measures which may, in the issue, be prejudicial to yourself. Notice further, they had not used harsh or reproachful language of Diana. This had not been charged on them, nor is there the least evidence that they had done it. They had opposed idolatry, had reasoned against it, and had endeavored to turn the people from it. But there is not the least evidence that they had ever done it in harsh or reproachful language. 
and it shows that men should employ reason and not harsh or reproachful language against any pervading evil, and that the way to remove it is to enlighten the minds of men and to convince them of the error of their ways. Men gain nothing by bitter and reviling words, and it is much to obtain the testimony of even the enemies of religion, as Paul did of the Chancellor of Ephesus, that no such words had been used in describing their crimes and follies. From Barnes' New Testament Notes Because where I live, it is very infrequent. Notice what Barnes told us. They had opposed idolatry, had reasoned against it, and had endeavored to turn people from it. But there is not the least evidence that they had ever done it in a harsh or reproachful language. Can you see where we are today? Are we like this? Can you see why no one wants to hear those who witness in a hateful and accusing way? Where in this study have we seen any indication to say that such behavior with others is acceptable? To answer that question, we haven't, and we have basically been told how we should act properly with others. It is not witnessing technique. It is about proper behavior when witnessing. Technique has nothing to do with it. Our next verse reads, If then Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against someone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another there. In closing, we need to note further. Have a complaint of injury if injustice has been done them by anyone. There are court days, days which are open or appointed for judicial trials, which such matters can be determined in a proper manner. Perhaps the courts were then held, and the matter might be immediately determined. And there are deputies, Roman proconsuls. The cause might be brought before them with the certainty that it might be heard and decided. Let them implead one another. Let them accuse each other in the court, i.e., let them defend their own cause and arraign one another. The laws are equal, and impartial justice will be done. From Barnes New Testament Notes As you can see, with a civil mind and civil emotions, things can be done properly. The last two verses read, But if you want anything in addition, it will have to be settled in a legal assembly, for we are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause we can give to explain this disorderly gathering. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Then, after the disturbance had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them and saying farewell, 
he left to go to Macedonia. From the book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 39, through chapter 20, verse 1. What does this study tell us about how we act with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? Next week, we start our summer series titled, Tribulation. What is it? We will answer questions as to what tribulation is. Is everything negative in our lives tribulation? We will find out, and more, in our summer series. Join us next week and through the summer as we answer many questions about tribulation and whether we experience it less frequently than we presume. To learn more, join us next week. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation Free Version. We greatly appreciate our audience. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners, followers, and new listeners. Thank you all so much. We are very pleased to serve a diverse international audience. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome and God bless you. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to Be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. Find our website at https colon forward slash forward slash the church of the unchurched dot o r g. Please type the church of the unchurched as a single word with no hyphens in unchurched. Our Bible tablet and desktop compliant website has more information, links to many of our podcast platforms under the podcast menu item. We are found on podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify, to name a few. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays, East Coast Time, USA. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. 
Our RSS feed is syndicated on many popular podcast RSS feed platforms. Find us on a preferred platform to follow us as we continue to grow. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.